chapter 12. The book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. We are continuing a mini-series we're calling Being a, a Spirit-Empowered People, or Community. It's in this three-chapter unit in the letter of 1 Corinthians. You have again this week this little insert, by the way, of recommended resources that relate to this topic. I would highly recommend all of these. The, the one we'd say, you know, if you're going to read just one, read Spirit and Sacraments by Andrew Wilson. It is a really helpful introduction to not only the topic we're talking about, but a vision for benefiting from time-tested traditions and the spontaneous, empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful vision of seeing those things not as somehow against each other, but, but together wedded that we might benefit all the more. So I highly recommend you pick up a copy of Spirit and Sacrament and Benefit. Now let's pray and ask for God's help before Mindy reads our passage. Holy Spirit, we do. We pause now to acknowledge our need for your active ministry at all times, but no less when we open your word that you might open the eyes of our hearts to understand, apply, and be affected by, even changed by, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And so do this, we ask you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys tired of me yet? <laughs> I get the privilege of coming up and reading the word to you, which is by far the best thing. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. 
If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. past summer, Sung and I were at an art museum and had the privilege of seeing one of the famous water lily paintings by the Impressionist painter Claude Monet. You're allowed to get about this close to it, and so I did that. I got about that close, and when you are up close to that kind of Impressionist painting, it looks like a hodgepodge of color, a sort of mishmash of various brush strokes that make no sense. But then I stepped back, oh, 10, no, I'd say 15 feet. And then it comes into view. What Monet has captured, this dynamic picture, this interplay, this almost movement on the canvas, this interplay of light on the water reflecting and light off of the lilies, this dynamic picture suddenly comes into view. And this passage is like that. It's calling us to step back and see something similar, a, a dynamic movement, you might say, a certain interplay, the dynamic movement of, of ministry and care between members of a church. The, the interplay of you building others up and you being positioned to be built up yourself through others by God's Spirit. It's this impressionist almost painting of church life together. Asking us, how am I being used to build others up? How am I being used to minister to people right here? And how am I positioning myself to receive such ministry myself? That's what we want to see. So think of this as almost God's impressionistic painting of Grace Church, this dynamic picture, that kind of interplay between us with, with four main steps or four Four brush strokes, let's call them, to keep the metaphor going. Four main brush strokes. Here's the first. First, we are, friends, one body. First, we are one body. Look at verse 12 with me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now recall the apostle is speaking to a divided church here on a somewhat divisive topic, <laughs> that of spiritual gifts. And so he draws on a metaphor we can relate to, that of our physical bodies. You have a physical body. It is one body, 
that of course has many parts to that one body. And he's saying it's like that, it's like that in the church. We are one body, though we have many parts, you might say. So, so first you should ask, well, why? Why are we one body together? How is that? Well, that's what he's going to explain in verse 13. Look at verse 13. It begins with four. Or, let me explain this to you. Let me tell you my logic inspired by the Spirit. For, in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying at conversion, at coming to Christ, the one Holy Spirit baptized you or immersed you into this one body of Christ, such that now, Jew or Greek, slave or free, very different people, different backgrounds, different social status, but all of us baptized or immersed together in this one body. It's a, it's a fundamental statement of our unity together because at conversion, the Holy Spirit baptized you or immersed you into this one body. But I realize that over the last hundred years, probably, there's been a lot of debate and confusion and contention about this this idea of being baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. So I want to do a little sidebar and address that. There are seven passages in the New Testament that speak of a baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. Seven of them. Four in the Gospels. John the Baptist telling us what Jesus will do. Two relate to Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit on the church in Acts chapter 2. The seventh is this verse right here. And here's what you need to know. The wording in all seven of this phrase, baptism in or with the Spirit, the wording in all seven passages is the same. So the original readers of this letter from Paul, the apostle, they would have made a connection. They would have realized that this, this Spirit baptism in the New Testament, it happens for all of us now, all of us being baptized in or with the Holy Spirit at conversion as the one Spirit unites us together in one body. But you should ask, and maybe you remember our series in the book of Acts, you should ask, what about the two-stage experiences we see in the book of Acts? In the book of Acts, there are a few times when people come to faith in Christ. And then a little bit later on, they receive the Holy Spirit and God often gives public evidence by them speaking in some unlearned language. How should we understand those two-stage experiences when this describes one experience we all experience together? Well, here's what you need to realize. That event at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it was a unique moment. Those folks are going from an old covenant experience of the Spirit 
to a new covenant experience of the Spirit. We don't do that. That's already happened. They went from an old covenant experience of the Spirit to a new covenant experience of the Spirit. So Pentecost was this very significant hinge moment in salvation history. And then those other two-stage experiences in Acts are when the good news of Jesus was crossing some racial or religious divide. And so God again gave that obvious Pentecost evidence to confirm that this good news was really for this new people so that there would be, as a result, one church. Not a Jerusalem church and a Samaria church. Not a Jewish church and a Gentile church, but one people in Christ. And that's the point of verse 13. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. It is this fundamental unity we share in Jesus Christ. But then you might want to ask, okay, Tab, are there experiences of the Spirit's empowering we should pursue or ask for? And I would say, yes, absolutely. Here's one of those truths, those verses. Ephesians 5, verse 18 tells us, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but notice, be filled with Spirit. Now that last phrase is in the form of an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's a divine command. Be filled. And it's phrased in a way that is to be happening in an ongoing basis. You might translate this, be continually being filled with the Spirit. But what does that mean? Well, look at the parallel here. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't put yourself under the controlling influence of the alcohol. But be filled. Put yourself under the influence more and more of the Spirit of God. You see the parallel there? Being filled with the Spirit here means coming more and more under the Spirit's influence. You see, it's not like it's not like filling a glass with water. If I had a water glass here and I'm filling it with water, when it gets to the top and we say, it's filled, and you try to pour more water in when it's filled, what happens? It just runs over the sides or on the counter. You have a mess. Being filled with the Spirit is more like, it's more like blowing up a balloon. And if I put a little bit of air into a balloon, you might say, it's filled. But then I could put some more in, put some more in, and we'd say, it's, it's more filled now, you might say. In other words, it's a matter of degrees. That's why God is commanding us to be continually filled with the Spirit. It's not that, well, you don't have the Spirit. No, you might be more filled. However, it's a matter of degrees. We need this in an ongoing way because you might say we leak. <laughs> And as we are filled, the results are what you find in the following verses in Ephesians 5. Renewed worship, renewed thanksgiving, and renewed relationship. 
So I pray, Holy Spirit, fill me all the time, every day, just about, before every meeting, before every pastoral situation, certainly before every sermon. I am driving here praying, Holy Spirit, please fill me, please help me. And there have been a couple of occasions when I had pronounced experiences of the Spirit's filling, but normally, I feel a little more peace. Normally, I feel a little more joy in Jesus. That's my sidebar on this somewhat controversial topic. So I would not argue for a climactic second experience of being baptized with the Spirit, but I would say, according to this verse, there should be a second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, seventeenth, forty-second, five thousand eight hundred and two <laughs> experiences of the Spirit's empowering in our lives. So I would ask you, when was the last time you asked the Spirit to fill you? When was the last time? Friends, God wants to empower you. He wants to meet you in your weakness. He wants to help you. Ephesians 5.18 is showing you that. So here in our passage, 1 Corinthians 12, end of sidebar, here in our passage, the Spirit baptizes us or immerses us in this one body. That's our fundamental unity. Now let's add a second brushstroke. Secondly, we find we are needed by the body. We are in one body together, and we are needed by this body. Now, God begins to address our spiritual gifts. And last week, we drew on Wayne Grudem's helpful definition of a spiritual gift as any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. That definition is sufficiently broad and one the Corinthians lacked <laughs> because they had exalted certain gifts and so some people felt like they were left out. There was, it seems, an in-group and an out-group, the haves and the have-nots. And so God begins to address this in verse 15 saying, back to the metaphor of the body, look, if you're a foot in the body, that doesn't mean you're not part of the body just because you're not a hand. Or if you're an ear, you're just as needed, even though you're not an eye. And then he, he sort of plays this game of, of what if with them in verse 17. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I mean, just imagine your whole body is one huge eyeball. That's what he's getting at. Corinthians, take this in. You're a big eyeball. Now you can see really well, but that's all you can do. You're a grotesque eyeball lying on the ground. Do you want to be that? Or, he says, <laughs> imagine your whole body's an ear. You could hear really well, but that's it. No sense of smell, no sense of sight or taste or touch. In other words, 
in your physical body, you want every part playing its part, don't you? You want every single part playing its part, and so it is in the church. So it is to be in the church. As Francis Schaeffer put it, there are no little people in the church. No little people. It's been said, the most important light the most important light in your house is not the beautiful chandelier in the dining room. It's the night light in the hallway so you don't stub your toe when you get up in the middle of the night. There are no little people in the church. Friend, your role and your gifts are probably having a much greater impact than you realize. I mean, let's apply the analogy here to our context. Imagine those using their gifts of service today on the setup team. Thank you, Nick and team, today. Imagine that they said, you know, because I'm not on the music team, I'm not really part of the body. I mean, if I, if I can't play an instrument like Philip does, I'm really not a part of the body around here. I don't matter. What would you say to that? You say, without what you guys did on the service, on the setup team today, using your gifts of service, there would be no music today. Or if those serving in children's ministry right now said, you know, I just do children's ministry, I don't preach, and the body doesn't need me, I'm really not part of the body, we'd say, no, those kids are learning God-centered gospel truths about Jesus that they wouldn't be picking up from Mr. Trainer right now. They're learning at their level and benefiting because those folks are using their gifts of service and teaching to do that. So let no one believe the lie that your part doesn't matter. Let no one believe the lie that your gifts aren't needed. Instead, believe the truth of verse 18, which says, but as it is, God arranged God sovereignly arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Take that in. Don't move too quickly past that. It's saying the sovereign and wise God custom-designed a unique and invaluable role for you to play right here. So, people with gifts of serving and mercy are no less important than those with gifts of teaching. People with gifts of administration or encouragement are no less significant than those with gifts of leadership. Members with gifts of, of helps are no less critical than gifts of prophecy. God has custom designed in His sovereignty, in His wisdom, a unique and invaluable role for each of us to play. Or to change the metaphor, God has arranged the body such that every one of us gets off the sidelines and onto the field. God has so sovereignly arranged it 
that he wants every one of us off the sidelines and into the game to use you. Do you believe that? Friend, do you, do you believe that God has sovereignly arranged you in this body to make a unique and invaluable contribution? I mean, just ask yourself, how, how do I view my gifts in this church? Whatever those may be, how do I view my role in this church? Do you think when you are alone, I'm not really needed, not really necessary. It doesn't matter if I'm here or not. If so, Please regain God's perspective from God's Word. He has arranged you in this body, each one of you, as He chose. And if you're not sure, like I said last week, what that role or gifts may be, well, begin to serve. Pray and serve. Pray and serve, meet needs around you, and you'll find ways God is using you. There's a ministry team list in the back. Check that out. If you're a member here and not on a ministry team, we would love your help, and God will use you. Also, friends, think of your home group this way. Think of your home group as a buffet of ministry opportunity. It's all-you-can-eat ministry opportunity in your small group. I guarantee you there are... There are needs and ministry opportunities in your group waiting for God to use you there. That's part of why we have small groups, because this body needs you. Now let's add a third brush stroke. The body needs you, second or thirdly rather, thirdly, we need the body ourselves. The body needs you, and we need the body ourselves. Now the apostle turns from gifts really to people, to people. Now he begins to, in a not so subtle way, address those who thought of themselves as superior and therefore had little need for the rest of the body. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, the eye, I'm going to now use the same metaphor, he says, in a different way. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Just read the condescending attitude into what he's describing. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, hand. I don't know why we even have an arm around here. You don't want that happening in your physical body, do you? No one wants to see that happening in your physical body, nor should it happen in the church. It's, in effect, the attitude that says, I'm the part in the body. I'm not a part. No, you know, I'm, I'm the part, so I don't need the other parts, because I'm, I'm the part. It is, in effect, when our gifts, friends, our gifts become our identity, who we are. 
And we say, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to find some place to teach because that's who I am. I'm a prophet, so I'm going to prophesy somewhere else, no matter what you say. I've got the gift of discernment, <laughs> so I'm going to sinfully judge you <laughs> as I remove myself from you. you know, your gift becomes who you are, becomes your identity, instead of your identity being in Jesus. You start to think, I'm the part, and I really need the body. And as strange as it might sound, I think we can all be vulnerable to this. We need to hear instead God's design in verse 22. Verse 22 says, on the contrary. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He seems to have here internal organs in mind. They seem weaker. They've got to stay inside of you. You don't notice them. They're always protected by your rib cage. You don't think much about them. But they're indispensable. I mean, who wants to get rid of an internal organ this morning? Anybody? Probably not. But did you walk in thinking about your kidneys or your liver? No. You think of them as weaker, of course, but they're indispensable. Same here in the church. Or verse 23, verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. It seems likely he's talking about sexual organs, those unpresentable parts, he calls them, they get greater honor, they get clothing. I love his simple analogies, right? Look, you clothe those parts. They're getting greater honor, he says. In other words, if we think we're the part that we're exalted over other parts, we're just not evaluating as God does. And we need to see again the divine design in the rest of verse 24. God has so composed the body. Notice, giving greater honor, greater honor to the part that lacked it. You see the sovereignty of God again? God so composes the body that greater honor is given, perhaps to the parts that we don't naturally honor, but we should. I think left to ourselves, just speaking in the church in general, we tend to honor the on-stage gifts the most. We tend to give the most attention to people who preach or travel and do conferences or maybe gifted musicians and, and, and thank God for those things and those people. But Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first must be your slave. That's a very different metric. God so composes the body that he gives greater honor to those parts that maybe we don't naturally honor as much as we should. 
during World War II, England, England had difficulty keeping workers in the coal mines. Of course, the coal supply was vital, vital to the war efforts. But mining is a thankless job. It was lacking in any personal glory. So one day, Winston Churchill delivered a speech to thousands of coal miners. He told them to picture a grand parade that was going to take place when victory in Europe was finally achieved. He said in this parade, first would come the sailors of the British Navy who had fought on the seas. Next would come the pilots of the Royal Air Force who had battled the German Luftwaffe. Next would come the army in this parade, people who had stood strong on the front lines. And then last of all, Churchill said, would come a line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked people wearing miners' caps. And he said, someone will cry from the crowd, where were you in the critical days of the war? Churchill said, from a thousand throats would come. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. And it is said that there were many tear streaks coming down those coal miners' faces as they realized the invaluable role they were playing, but not honored as they should have been. Friends, another parade is coming on the last day. Another parade when King Jesus finishes his ultimate victory. And God honors those parts of the body that perhaps we didn't honor very well. These won't be the Christian celebrities. They didn't serve from a stage. They didn't write any books. They served anonymously in their church. But they will hear from the Savior. You served regularly in nursery. You threw your heart into set up and take down of equipment. You reached out to newcomers every week. You cared for that widow or widower in your small group. You served the new mom who was struggling. You greeted people with a smile on the front lines of hospitality. You, you prayed in secret for your church over and over and you thought no one noticed because no one honored you. But the Savior will say, I noticed, and I'm going to honor you. There's going to be a parade on the last day. And he's going to reward you. I will be somewhere in the overflow room. My wife will be, I'm sure, at the front. Many of you 
front of the line. I will be in the overflow room. Wave to me on the jumbotron. But I hope to be there when the Savior says, I saw what you did in Little Grace Church of La Mesa. You thought nobody noticed. I noticed. I'm going to reward you. Oh, friends, when we start thinking we're the part, if I ever start thinking I'm the part, if we ever start looking down on other parts, in effect thinking, really don't need the body, let us remember that parade. Let us use the Savior's evaluation for two reasons, two effects in this passage. First, verse 25, that there be no division in the body. Isn't it interesting? The more we see our need for each other, the more closely we're united. Is that happening for you? Are you drawing closer to the body because you so need, see your need of the body? Second reason, but that the members have the same care for one another. Members not comparing gifts, but caring with their gifts. Members not serving to impress, but serving to bless. With the effect being verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Friends, ask yourself, what's my tendency? To care or compare? To bless or impress? Do I want to, in effect, be the part and so minimize the other parts of the body? We, friends, we desperately need one another. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here and you're, you're not a member of this church or a church, not a member of any local church, I just want to briefly say, nowhere in the Bible will you read a command that says, thou shalt join a local church. But this passage comes really close. Okay, this passage comes real close to saying, oh, friends, don't be an eyeball out there. Don't be an ear out there. You need to be tangibly connected to the rest of the body, and that's what we call membership. We have a class starting next week that can help you consider if God might be calling you to make a church home right here. So we're stepping back now. We're seeing what God is painting one more brushstroke very briefly. Fourthly, let's see the picture all together. Now we are reminded that we are the body of Christ together. Here's what God is painting in Grace Church. We are the body of Christ together. Now the line between metaphor and reality gets really blurry in verse 27. Now... Now you are the body of Christ. And individually, members of it, 
Now what's not in view here, don't read this in, what's not in view right here is the worldwide universal body of Christ. He's saying, you, local church in the city of Corinth, you are the body of Christ. It's you, Grace Church, meeting right now in La Mesa Community Center. You are the body of Christ. Yes, a tiny fraction of that worldwide body. Yes, but you are a functioning microcosm. A functioning microcosm of the body of Christ right here. It's an incredibly high view of the local church. We are a microcosm of the diversely gifted body of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the apostle goes on to show, he lifts a variety of gifts. He begins with apostles, prophets, teachers, people who seem to be arranged by their role in founding and building the church of Jesus Christ. And then as he goes on, he lists a series of rhetorical questions, each with the implied answer of no. So, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? All possess gifts of healing? All speak in unlearned languages? Do all interpret? No, 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 no. What's his point? You are the diversely gifted body of Christ in microcosm right here. Since we are the body of Christ together, is the painting coming into view for you? Like the water lilies painting when I was about this close, it just looked like a mishmash of brush strokes. When I got about 15 feet back, it was a beautiful, dynamic interplay of light and subject matter, almost a sense of movement on the canvas. Are you stepping back with me and seeing the same thing right here? God is saying, step back, Grace Church. Step back and seeing what, see what I am painting in your midst. See the, the beauty of what I'm doing among you. See the interplay between many gifts and one body. See the dynamic movement between you of service and care, ministry and love, help. Every member gifted and every gift needed. Every member gifted and every gift needed. So here's my exhortation, closing exhortation. Friends, let every part play its part and every part be honored as it should. Let every part here play its part and every single part be honored as Christ honors. Let no one be left on the sidelines. Let each of us be on the field and in the game because we are the body of Christ together. Friends, it is all about Him. So it's very appropriate we end by taking the Lord's Supper together. So would the music team please join me? Let's close reminding ourselves that it's all about Him, our Lord and Savior, who lived and died and rose for us. If you are here and you've, you've yet to believe on Jesus Christ, 